We've just been singing songs of of worship to our holy, immortal, invisible God. And as we're going to see this morning, even though we serve God who is spirit, that we cannot reach out and touch right now, that we cannot see in his invisibility. We will see as we open up the scriptures that the greatest absolute fulfillment that we could ever imagine to experience is found only in him. And so we want to know more of him. We're in a series where we are looking at God's attributes, those traits, those characteristics, those descriptions of God that that make up who he is. And we've asked the question, can we know him? And we said, yes, God is knowable. Not fully, we cannot fully know him in all all of his splendor, but we can know him truly. But in our sin, people push him away. But in his love, he gave us special revelation of himself in his son and in his word. And it's in his word that we come to this morning to know more of him. We saw last week that God is spirit. We talked about the spirituality of God. That because he is spirit, he has personhood. He's not just a force. His superior, he has a superior existence to ours so that he's able to hear all of us pray at the same time. He's able to intimately know what's going on in each and every one of our lives. And he not only is spirit himself, but he created humanity for each of us to possess an inner spirit so that we would be able to be in relationship with him created in his image. And because each of us have a human spirit, our humanity has great value created in his image. And the fact that each of us have a spirit within us, an inner person that is able to be in relationship with God, that fact changes how we should view people around us, regardless of their state of life. It's hard for us to grasp God as spirit. And today, it's even more difficult for us to grasp his invisibility. But that's what we're going to talk about, the invisibility of God. And even though we cannot see him, we're going to see this morning that we can know him. And in knowing him and more and more of him, we find the greatest satisfaction that's available at all 
for the depths of our soul. Several weeks ago, Pastor Brian Hill and his wife Trudy mentioned to Barbara and I that years ago one of their children announced to mom and dad that God is not real. Now, if that was you and your child said, God's not real, it'd be startling, wouldn't it? And so they sat down with this child and said, what do you mean? He said, well, I can't see him. Therefore, he's not real. Now, those are words out of a child's mouth, but a lot of us as adults can identify with that. It's it's hard to grasp invisible God. It's hard to get our arms around that concept. And we're going to see this morning that we will never be able to see God in His entire being. But we will also see that we will see Him. And when we do, we will find deeper satisfaction for our souls than we have ever experienced up to that point in our lives. To begin looking at the invisibility of God, I encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. This is one of the premier chapters of the Bible. One of these chapters that we can come back to and back to again and again. In the beginning of the chapter, God tells the people of Israel that they are to arise, follow Moses to the land of promise, but they have been an obstinate people. God will send his angel, but he tells them, I'm not going to go with you because in my anger towards you I may destroy you. And the people of Israel are distraught. In the midst of their unfaithfulness to God, Moses, we see in this chapter, is close to God. Start reading in Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about, whatever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship, each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? 
The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me, and he shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. In this great passage recording for us the magnificence, the splendor of the glory of God, God uses terms like face and hand and back. Not that he possesses a physical back or a hand or a face because he is spirit, but he puts that into those terms so that we can somehow grasp his presence. And we find here Moses supposing that that he that he is about to head out with the people of Israel to take them to the land of promise, fearful, timid, Wanting to know more of God. Wanting to see God. And I think what's really driving Moses to want to know more and more of God, to see God, is the fact that he's been spending time with God. If you look at verse 8, it tells us it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand each at the entrance of his tent and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. You see, this was a regular thing that Moses did. This is not the tabernacle that will that's not finished being completed yet. This is just a tent that Moses sets up outside the camp of Israel, a place to meet God. He's used to going there. And the text tells us that, that God meets Moses there in verse 11, and they speak face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. You see, the more Moses spends time with God, the more his heart's desire is to actually see him. And we're going to see this morning that the scriptures teach that ultimately the absolute greatest fulfillment we will ever have is to be in God's presence and to see a glimpse of his glory. Invisible God face to face. Now, the scriptures are clear that we cannot see God the Father. But God, knowing our inability to grasp the concept of God as He is Spirit, sent us a flesh-on picture 
of himself in the person of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians in chapter 2 verses 5 and 6 makes it clear that that was Jesus' motivation in coming. It says, who although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So that we could somehow see God. The Gospel of John in chapter 1 verse 18 brings out this truth that Jesus Christ is God revealing himself to us. And in John chapter 1 verse 18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who's in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. In chapter 6, verse 46 of the Gospel of John, we also see John write, Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. Sometimes you'll hear Bible teachers refer to studying the Bible, interpreting the Bible, and explaining the Bible as exegesis. Sometimes you'll hear a reference to exegetical teaching, meaning you interpret the text and then apply the text. D.A. Carson, a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, says about these two passages in the Gospel of John, we might almost say that Jesus is the exegesis of God. If we want to see God, we look at the person of Jesus Christ. You see, God is spirit. We cannot comprehend the absolute splendor of the glory of his attributes. First Timothy Chapter 1, verse 17 says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 through 16 says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, again, affirms to us, no one has seen God at any time. A child can say, well, God's not real. I can't see him. And we can identify with that. He's invisible. God is spirit. But Moses, even though he could not see God, was growing in getting to know God. And the more he grew to know God, the more his heart's desire was to see him. Because Moses' knowledge of God showed that his ultimate fulfillment would only come in God. And the more he spent time with him, the more he wanted to know him. Which brought Moses to saying, Show me your glory.
My wife Barbara and I have three sons. And those of you who have children and maybe like us, they're grown and gone, it's easy to look back and think about everything that I should have done differently as their dad. All of those shortcomings, and believe me, there are many. But there are some things that I look back on with fond memories, just times we had as a family together. One of those times that I look back to with fondness is just times we had around the supper table together. And ever since the boys were little, at the end of supper, we would uh, often have a little review time. We would review the gospel. So we'd just come at the end of the meal. Dad would say, now, let's just talk about the gospel. Who is Jesus? What did he do for us? Did he stay dead? And what do we have to do to have his payment for sin apply to our life? And we'd go through the gospel time after time. Even after the boys professed faith in Jesus, we'd still go over the gospel as a family. The other thing that we did, even when the guys were little, like in early to mid-grade schools, we started talking about marriage. And I would ask the boys, what kind of girl should you find to be your wife someday? Well, they got quite a kick out of making this painful for dad. So they'd say things like, well, she has to be a good athlete, she has to cook, no prison record, you know, things like this. And they would eventually get to where they knew I wanted to go. And they said, well, she has to be a Christian. And then dad would say, well, yes, she needs to be a Christian, but you also need to find a girl who loves Jesus. You see, I wanted them to, at a young age, start thinking about the fact that there's more than just putting our trust in Jesus Christ. There is a growing relationship with Jesus Christ that needs to be present in each and every one of our lives. I get together once a month with... uh, an accountability partner, actually I have more than one, and one of my accountability partners that I meet with was relaying to me last week his very first date that he had with a woman that became his wife. She was 19 years old, and he said it it just blew him away the passion that she had for Jesus Christ. And as we look at the invisibility of God. It's hard for us to grasp God unless we start spending time with Him. And I think the driving force in Moses' life, why Moses wasn't satisfied with where he was at with God at the moment, where Moses said, show me your glory, I want to see you. The reason Moses had that that drive to know more of God was because he was spending time with God in the tent. He would listen to God talk to him, and he would talk with God. Just like you and I have the real potential to spend time with God in the tent. 
we listen to him as we read his word to us and the spirit of God takes the words of this book and teaches us what God has to say to us. And we talk with him as we respond to him, just talking to him in prayer. And you see, Moses here in Exodus 33 was regularly going to God. I think because Moses saw that the greatest fulfillment that could possibly come to his life had to be with God. That's why he said, if you're not going to go with us, I don't want to go. Well, the scriptures are clear that we will never be able to see God in his entire being. But they also say, we will see God. And that's where I want us to turn over in the book of Matthew. If you want to turn over to Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew 5, we come to the Sermon on the Mount, this section where Jesus is teaching about what true righteousness looks like. The righteousness that allows a person to enter the kingdom of God. You see, the Pharisees were promoting a man-made righteousness. You follow our rules and you do this, this, and this, and then you'll be good enough to enter the kingdom. Jesus' teaching here shows that externals and aligning with rules doesn't make us righteous. The only way that we can have righteousness is through the righteousness that's found in the person of Jesus Christ. And that righteousness looks much different than the Pharisees' righteousness. And as Jesus explains that, he says in one of these Beatitudes in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now the New Testament's clear. One day we are going to stand face to face with God. Certainly here in Matthew 5, 8, Jesus is referring to himself, that those who come to him for righteousness will see eternal God dwelling in humanity in the person of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 12 talks about one day us seeing Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 13:12 it says For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. Up in verse 10, it talks about when the perfect comes, when Jesus Christ comes back, we will see him. 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 shows us the same truth. 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. We Beloved, now we are children of God, and it's not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. We will see Him in His resurrected body, and we will be in our new bodies, and we will see Him face to face. The passage that Pastor Brian read earlier in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, talks about seeing Jesus Christ it says, Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. So we know for certain 
that one day we will see Jesus. But I think we will see a glimpse of invisible God as well. I think we will have the opportunity to see what Moses saw. And to see that, I invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. You see, we see the Bible end the way it begins. In the beginning of the Bible, we have man and woman in the garden in perfect unity and relationship with the Father. And as we come to Revelation 22, we see Jesus Christ's victory over sin, redemption of creation come to its fulfillment in a new creation, a new Eden, a new Jerusalem. And this description shows us a glimpse into the new Jerusalem, this heavenly city where we will live forever and ever. And it tells us in verse 3, there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and, the, and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. Remember in Genesis 2, it talks about that man and woman were to cultivate the garden and keep it, those, those worship terms for service. And here it says, we will serve him. And then it says, they will see his face. Notice in verse 3 of Revelation 22, there's two thrones. There's the throne of God and of the Lamb. I don't think the throne of God is going to be empty. I think what Revelation 22 is saying is that we are going to be given a glimpse into of the glory of God, just as Moses was given a glimpse of the glory of God in Exodus 33, just as Moses so yearned to see God because he'd been in this growing relationship with him. We too, one day, will actually be able to see a glimpse of the outshining of God's attributes. And it will be the most satisfying day we will ever have. Because it will satisfy us for an eternity. This week in the Wall Street Journal on Thursday, there was an article on palliative care, end-of-life care. And I I read it with, with great interest. And the gist of the article was that In today's medical world, there's not enough emphasis placed on dialogue with people about choices they have at the end of life. For way too many people, they just get immediately thrown into a series of tests and procedures without really having the opportunity to maybe say, I don't want that. And I took pause from the article and started to think, I wonder how I would respond. What would I do if the doc told me I've only got four months left? And my mind immediately went to food. I thought about, you know, what I want for my last meal. It would be new potatoes with fresh garden peas and a cream sauce with my wife's homemade rolls, strawberry freezer jam and chocolate pie. That's it. So I'd have to have my last meal. I I decided one thing I would do for sure is go to my non-Christian relatives and basically say, Unc, I'm going to die in four months. You're going to listen to me. You need Jesus. 
I think I might rent a convertible and drive around the U.S. a little bit with my wife. But everything I thought of for my perfect day just wasn't quite complete. Have you ever thought about what your perfect day would be? Now, we can have a good day, but we can't have a perfect day until one thing is true, until we are face-to-face with God. That will be our perfect day. That will be our opportunity to have the deepest yearnings of our soul satisfied when we see Him. A glimpse of His glory. We think about the invisibility of God and the unsearchable, unfathomable depths of the attributes of God. And we can ask ourselves, how can I have that yearning in my life that Moses had in his life? That yearning where Moses said, I want to see a glimpse of you. I think the reason Moses had that yearning was that he was continually spending time with God. In a sense, he was going to the tent. And for you and me, the most satisfaction that we can have here today is by going to the tent and growing in our knowledge of him. Taking in his words to us through our Bible and talking with him face to face, just as Moses did. And the more time spent with him, the deeper the yearnings of our heart will be for him. The more satisfied we will find our hearts will be as we spend time with him, and all the other stuff that we look to for satisfaction will continue to grow less and less. The invisibility of God does not mean that he's not knowable. And one day, even though we will never see God entirely, when we're in heaven, we will see a real vision of God. You may be here this morning and and you feel empty. You don't even know if you have a relationship with God. I encourage you after the service, go back to the prayer room. One of our elders will be there, and you can just spend a little time in prayer. Maybe if you want, our elder who's back there can talk with you about how you can know for sure you can be in right relationship with God. Or maybe you have some burdens on your heart, and you just want to spend a little time in the tent this morning talking with him. I encourage you after the service to go pray. Father, we thank you that even though you are spirit and invisible, you are knowable. And that one day we will see you. Father, we pray that while it's so easy for us to try to satisfy our thirsts and stuff or prestige or our careers or our kids, We pray that you'd give us a hunger for you. That our hunger would only find satisfaction 
in knowing more and more of you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.